please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. You came slip sliding away into church again this morning. We're sure glad you're here. And we sure needed the snow, right? We've been talking about the kingdom of God, and we've been talking about uh, Christian life and witness as bringing the kingdom of God to a world desperate for it. And last week we began looking at the story before you in Acts chapter 5, the story of husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira. And you remember the story, Ananias and Sapphira brought a gift of money to the church and laid it at the apostles' feet. Only that's not the whole story. Ananias and Sapphira had ulterior uh, motives, and they lied. They covered up the fact uh, that they weren't giving all the money that they had from the sale of that land, and they made others believe and maybe even thought that God might believe, if you can believe it, that they were giving all of it. And... Um, we talked about uh, how harsh that story at least seemed and, and is, in fact, that because this couple lied about that gift, I mean, they're dead in the span of 11 verses. They're gone because of their sin. I suggested to you that one reason for the harsh words is uh, transparency is a big deal to God. Because uh, transparency, that idea of saying no to self so that others can see through me to Jesus, is a big deal. And maybe that's what Ananias and Sapphira were struggling with, transparency. Now, a more familiar definition of transparency than the one I gave you last week and the one you see on the screen, mine goes something like, Transparency is being honest about ourselves with others. Transparency means being willing to admit we're not perfect. Admitting for all to see, in fact, that we are far from perfect. I'm reminded um, of a story about the great 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon. A man is said to have come to Spurgeon seeking his help in finding a perfect group of God's people. Spurgeon thought for a minute and is said to have replied, Sir, if you ever do find such a group, do not join it, because if you do, it would no longer be perfect. Ouch! <laughs> Spurgeon saw perhaps the man's pride peeking through his question about finding a perfect group of people, because after all, that would seat his per or suit his perfect self. Perhaps the man was failing to realize that Christianity is not about perfection. Perhaps the man was struggling with, you know, you're not perfect there. He wasn't being transparent, in other words. When I define transparency as saying no to self so that others can see through me to Jesus... I still have that other more familiar idea about transparency in mind. Transparency is indeed being honest about ourselves with others. But I'm asking you to consider adding two things at least to this more familiar definition of transparency. First, why do we struggle with being transparent? What lies behind our reluctance to own up 
about ourselves, our real self. Isn't part of our reluctance pride? Bless you. I'm not going to be honest about my struggles and temptations with sneezing in church. Okay, sorry. (laughs) That wasn't very nice of me. Um, I'm not going to be honest about my struggles and temptations. Are you kidding me? What will people think? What if they laugh? That's like the bane of our American Western culture existence, right? Nothing worse than if someone laughs at us. Well, so what? What if they judge me? How humiliating. Well, isn't that pride talking, ultimately? Are we desperately trying to protect our cherished little idol of self from shame? So I define transparency as saying no to self, because if we don't topple that self-idol off its pedestal, we've got no chance, none, of being transparent, of being a transparent window to Jesus Christ. Second thing I want to add to a more typical definition of transparency is this. What is the ultimate effect of transparency for Christians? In short, I'm suggesting that when we get over ourselves, when we say no to self, others are more able to see through me to Jesus. And isn't that the point? Isn't he the point? Okay. Enough with definitions this morning. I want to share a bit about transparency in relationships. Two types of relationships, or two relationships in particular, are relationships with others and our relationship with God. Now, from experience speaking about this, I know what happens as soon as I use the R word. The guys in the room. Something like this. Tremors through them. Oh, no. Or I knew it. I could smell it coming. And the women in the room, they perk right up. New life and vigor courses through their very female being. And the women go, oh, yes. And if they're sitting next to a man, even if it's not their man, maybe any man, all the way from husband, brother, friend, or even a complete stranger, they begin to sharpen their elbows. Make sure you sit up. And take notice, Mr. Man. Why do you suppose women have an easier time with more intimate or transparent relationships? I know I'm stereotyping here. Save your emails. (laughs) I'm speaking in general here, but isn't that often the case? Would you grant me that? Women get together and talk about relationships. Guys get together and talk about, oh, for heaven's sakes, anything else. Why is that? Well, I have some shocking news for 21st century Americans. Men and women are different. (laughs) You haven't noticed. You laugh, but our culture is trying to sell us otherwise, isn't it? Men and women are different. And one difference, I think, is that by their very nature, women are often more transparent than men. And as a guy now, I'm tempted to go down this road. That's right, so why don't they just leave us alone? (laughs) Don't be tempted down that road, my brothers. 
before you say something like that, recognize God gave us women to help us, to complete us, to strengthen us where we need help. I think one of those areas that women can help men with is with transparency. Oh, my brothers, our transparency is so important in marriage. When we fight to be transparent, when we take up that fight against self and our Genesis 3 verse 16 urge to rule over, when we fight that, when we win that battle, even for a day, we bless our wives and they see and experience Jesus through us. I know. Marriage is only one of the many types of relationships that we have with others. But I use it as an example. The biblical ideal and command to do mutual submission rather than self-serving ruling over is not limited to marriage. To serve and to love rather than to rule over is the biblical model for all of our relationships. Every human relationship. We're not here to rule over, manipulate, compete with each other. We're here to serve each other. And this is where transparency in all our relationships is so important. Transparency allows us to humble ourselves, first of all, enough to receive help. Do you ever think that receiving help takes humility? It does. Some of the most difficult words to utter to someone else is, I could sure use your help. When we're transparent, it helps us with that humility to ask for help, to receive help, and it also humbles us enough to give help gladly and not feel like it's something we got to do. When we in the church are not transparent in our relationships with each other, true Christian fellowship, fellowship designed and intended to rest on mutual submission, Christian fellowship dies. And what takes the place of that fellowship is, quite frankly, sickening. Whether it's a marriage or a mere acquaintance, when we stop being honest about ourselves with others, the whole thing is a sham. Our relationships end up making the kitty end of the pool look deep, they're so shallow. Suddenly our fellowship is not genuine because it rests on a pack of self-preserving, self-serving lies, because we're not willing to go there. Our fellowship stops meeting the real needs of real people. Our worship becomes routine and insincere. Our vibrant, meaningful, genuine walk with God is often reduced to only a list of doctrines or do's and don'ts. And if that happens, if that's what church is about, you know, why even bother? What good is it really to get together once or twice a week to join in a chorus of, I'm fine, how are you? I'm fine, you? Fine, 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 fine. How about that cold weather? How about those Broncos? I'm fine, did I say? I'm fine. It's like that Finding Nemo thing with those seagulls. Mine, 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 mine. Have a fine week. That's not God's deepest intent for the church, is it? That's not how we witness Jesus in the kingdom of God and meet real people with real glaring needs, is it? If we're truly to meet each other's needs, then we need to be honest about ourselves with each other. We need to be transparent. We 
We have a great need to get beyond, hi, how are you? A deep, gaping, wounding need. And the only way we do that is through transparency with each other. Without transparency, the church loses its vitality. It loses its life. It loses track of its own lifeblood of people serving people. And for people serving people to truly happen to any meaningful degree whatsoever, we need to, in the words of the great theologian Oscar Mayer, cut the baloney. And we need to be transparent with each other. Amen? And we need to do this not only for ourselves or for others in the church, but this transparency is also vital to our witness outside the church. A graduate student at the University of Paris was working on her thesis, and it involved an examination and critique of Christianity. One of the things she wrote in her paper was this. To me... A Christian is either a man who lives in Christ or a phony. You Christians do not appreciate that it is on this, the almost external testimony, I would say transparency is what she means, the almost transparency that you give of God that we judge you. You ought to radiate Christ. She's read the Bible at least. Your faith ought to flow out to us like a river of life. You ought to infect us with a love for Him. It's then that God, who was impossible, becomes possible for the atheist and those of us wavering in our faith. We cannot help being struck, upset, and confused by a Christian who is truly Christ-like. And we do not forgive him when he fails to be. Boy, these are convicting words. She's talking about transparency, isn't she? Being real. Not being almost in our external testimony. Being all the way. Being a clear window to Jesus Christ. Often we react to our own transparency like we do to our windshields when we're driving around in this weather. And they start to get flecked with dirt. You know, if you're Dutch like me, you're even you're going to save on uh, windshield wiper fluid. It's like, oh, I can still see through that. If I go like this, I can see. You know, or I'm worried you're worried you're going to run out. Here's an illustration you might not have heard in any other church. <laughs> Jesus is like a bottomless supply of wiper or window washer fluid. <laughs> you don't have to save them. You can't use it up. Keep the window clear. In fact, go around with your squirter squirting full blast all the time. Keep it clean. All the way, transparency to Christ is the only thing that makes a difference, a real difference in our life and witness. Brendan Manning makes the following observation about the witness of the church. He says, it is symptomatic... It is symptomatic that despite the church having been around for 2,000 years, the mass of people still pass Christianity by. Why? Because the visible presence of Jesus Christ is rarely present in Christians as a whole. 
will never move people to Jesus Christ in the gospel merely by making speeches about them. Contact with Christians should be an experience that proves to people that the gospel is a power that transforms the whole of life. Instead, our presence in the world is often marked by rank insincerity, a dilution of grace, and a failure to act on the Word. I think he's right. We need desperately that visible presence of Jesus Christ in us and through us to be effective witnesses. That's what God uses to move people, to beckon Him toward His Son. Transparency is vital to our witness. How about our need for transparency and our relationship with God? I want to talk this morning a little bit about fear. Fear is not a seeker-sensitive word. But fear resulting from God's judgment, it's a key aspect of this story of Ananias and Sapphira. This is not my idea. This is God's idea. It's in the book. Luke mentions it twice in a very short story. Twice, he says, that great fear seized the community. And you can see why. Second time he mentions great fear seizing, it's his closing statement in the story, perhaps even bringing more emphasis that what he really wants to communicate here is something about this fear. And while it might not be seeker-sensitive, and while it might make us a little bit nervous, the Bible's very clear, my brothers and sisters, that a healthy fear of God's judgment is a good thing. A healthy fear is our friend. We should fear the consequences of sin. They're really bad. But then you say, maybe as I did, because this is where my mind went next as I was preparing the sermon, I wrote in my notes, well, wait a minute, Mr. Preacher Man. I thought for those who are in Christ, there is no fear of judgment. And you know what? You're absolutely right. That's the point of the cross. The point of the cross is indeed that Jesus died for our sins so that we might escape judgment. In other words, if we are saved by putting our faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Amen? Amen. But let's talk a little bit about salvation or being saved. We so often point only to our salvation as that moment in time we chose to follow Jesus. Right there. That's Jesus in my heart. You know, December 10, 1932. I was saved. We so often talk about our salvation only as that point in time. And again, we'd be right to emphasize and celebrate that moment. Salvation's going on there when someone asks Jesus into their heart. But the Bible... The Bible does not only talk about salvation as that one-time event. Did you know that? It also talks about salvation as a process continuing throughout our lives. Some theologians would call that sanctification, and that's a great way to pull the machine apart and look at it, but the Bible doesn't always pull it apart. Paul makes this point using the word salvation when he says, we need to continue to work out our salvation. 
Sounds like a process. And then look at what he adds. Paul says, as we're working out our salvation, we need to work it out with fear and trembling. Interesting instruction from Paul, isn't it? It appears that fear plays a vital role somehow in our salvation. Fear and trembling plays a role in our relationship with God. Protestants, in particular, I'm going to stereotype again. Protestants, in particular, often place a lot of emphasis on the fact that Jesus is our ever-present loving buddy or friend. We sung a lot about that this morning, didn't we? And make no mistake, I love that about our Protestant tradition. That is a great emphasis. In the words of John, God is love. So let's emphasize it. But there's something more prevalent often in the Catholic tradition that I love too. Something every bit as biblical and helpful. Our Catholic brothers and sisters tend to place a lot of emphasis on the fact that God is way different and way more amazing than we are. His ways are so far above our ways that we cannot hope to understand them all, the Bible says. He's mysterious. He's powerful beyond comprehension. Even church architecture can capture this different emphasis between Protestant and Catholic. I mean, we come into West Bowles and it's a warm and friendly place. Looks a bit like a theater or a place meant to cater to us and entertain us and meet our needs. It's got coffee, nice soft seats, donuts, even slushies. Lots of creature comforts here to serve you. It's a a space that communicates we belong here. God is our friend. Now, don't let my sarcasm sway you. There's nothing wrong with that and everything good and right about that. And I'm so thankful that we place that emphasis at West Bowles. But have you ever been in a Catholic church? Some of them. Many of them, at least, have a very different feel when you walk in. Those of you who have been, know. During one of my classes at Denver Seminary, we visited different churches from different traditions. I'll never forget the day that we bunch of Protestants clamored into a local Catholic church. We came in laughing and kidding and joking around, getting along, having a good time, you know, love, a fellowship of believers and all that. And we had a great time in that class. But then we, like, turned the corner and entered the sanctuary. And it was like, a hush fell over our class. Tall, spiraling ceilings. It was so quiet, you could hear your own heartbeat, like in that song. You felt compelled to whisper like I'm doing now. And that was only if you really thought you needed to say anything at all. Our steps on the marble floor were sounded like gunshots. Massive stained glass apostles and saints looking down on us from all sides. 
I remember whispering out loud to no one in particular, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) And I suddenly felt very, very small and very, very insignificant. And it wasn't until I got there, small and insignificant, that I felt something I hadn't felt in 25 years. The feeling came over me, overwhelming feeling that brought tears to my eyes. God is so great. I was overwhelmed with the respect of the space for Almighty El Shaddai, God. And I felt just a taste of what Moses and Isaiah and others did when they couldn't help but fall on their faces in worship when they were in the presence of very God. Now, before we too quickly jump all over that, Before we too quickly thumb our seeker-sensitive, Jesus-is-our-buddy Protestant noses at all of that, can we find room to appreciate that there's something healthy about realizing and feeling the greatness of God? A healthy fear of God's judgment is our friend. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Another word for fear. What motivates us to do this? For our God is a consuming fire. A healthy fear of sin is a motivator. A healthy fear is our friend. I keep saying a healthy fear. What do I mean by healthy fear? Well, a healthy fear is a fear that is neither too much or too little. It's a biblically balanced fear. The same biblical balance between God's justice and mercy. The same balance between God's wrath and His love. We shouldn't fear God's wrath so much that we walk around with our life every quaking moment wondering if I'm going to mess up, God's going to hit that smite button on His great computer in the sky. that's not a biblical, that's not a healthy fear. We're not called to live scared that God's going to whack us upside of the head if we mess up. That's not healthy fear. But in running from that unhealthy fear, we need to guard against running so far that we become too comfortable or too confident or too cocky or too smug. We become indifferent to how amazing the greatness of God is. Or perhaps even worse, we start to think, yeah, that God's salvation in Jesus Christ thing, I pretty much got that figured out. (laughs) Yeah, no, pray this prayer umpteen times and I get what I want. Pretty much got what I want and need now anyway, so to bother with prayer. As far as living my life according to some stale old book of standards, I've read the Bible. Why am I going southern? I don't mean to. It's the stock show. Thank you for bailing me out. 
I've read the Bible so long as I make that decision for Christ before I die. Shoot, I just slip right in there to heaven. (laughs) So for now, I just live my life the way I want to. And before I go, yeah, I believe in this Jesus thing. And I give it all over to him, you know, when I'm just about to flatline, like Gene's guitar. If you're tempted to go there, please, from my heart and love for you, oh, be careful. Don't play chicken with God. Don't play chicken with judgment. If you think you're on that one-lane road and there are cars, you know what chicken is? Am I dating myself? Yeah, the 40 and over. Yeah, these kids are like, what, play chicken? Is that like football where you throw a chicken? Chicken used to be, you know, I don't know when it came. Was it the 50s or I don't know? That was before I was born. Um, you know, two guys, would, or two, yeah, usually guys, I guess, although I guess women could play chick. Two guys are, you know, they get the end of a long, you know, one-lane road, and the two cars face each other, and they rev. Vroom, vroom, vroom. And then, you know, someone with the go code goes, and they floor it, and those cars start, like, heading for each other. You know, and you're the adrenaline, I guess. It's like the X game or something. They're like going at each other. And then the chicken is, you know, who's going to turn off first? Who's going to flinch first? And if you do, you're the chicken. God's judgment is not going to turn off that road. Don't be tempted to play chicken with God. When we start figuring we've got this God thing figured out, pride starts to sneak in without us even noticing. We lose our humility before the one who sits on that only throne. That absence of fear is not a healthy fear either. And my fear is that the church more often today, the church universal, at least in the West, struggles more often with an absence of fear than a fear that we're thinking about it too much and it's overwhelming us. It's my take. A healthy fear is our friend because it helps keep us grounded. It helps us recognize that we can't do it ourselves. We need help. We need the sort of help that can only come from our magnificent God. A healthy fear helps us feel our need for God. And now we're talking about transparency because we have to feel, we have to feel our need for God. We have to feel inadequate. We have to feel like we need Him way before we can even begin to say no to self so others can see me through Jesus or see Jesus through me. That's a big difference there. (laughs) Two PSs. First, last week I shared with you Manning's conclusion that often our relentless pursuit of security, pleasure, and prestige covers up our transparency as witnesses of Jesus. What I didn't add, I want to add now. There's nothing wrong with desiring security, pleasure, and prestige. The wrong part, the danger, the sin comes in when we go after those things for the glory of us rather than the glory of God. 
And here's the good part, the really good part. In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, 24 elders throw their crowns at the foot of God's throne, throw their symbols of power and prestige before the throne of God. And they say over and over again that God is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And in the very next chapter, Revelation 5, thousands upon thousands of angels we hear are singing, and what they're singing is that Jesus alone is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. In other words, all those things we desire, glory, honor, power, wealth, wisdom, strength, and praise, security, pleasure, and prestige, all of them belong to God. And all then are only ultimately available to us in Christ, who will share them with us. All, one day, maybe not in this life, but one day we'll have that all together with Him. It was Jesus Himself who said of such things, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Second P.S. Transparency means that we don't kid ourselves or others. We don't lie to others about our own weakness and need for God, right? One lie out there, a real whopper, as my grandpa used to say, is that living the Christian life is easy. It's not. It's hard. In fact, it's the hardest thing anyone could ever possibly try and do, in my opinion. It's hard to be transparent. It's hard to say no to self. It's hard to live for the good of others rather than ourselves. And we need help. And God promises Help. J.R.R. Tolkien in his Lord of the Rings captures how difficult it is to say no to self. You remember the story, don't you? Frodo, the hobbit, is asked to bear the one ring, a ring of great power, a ring of security, pleasure, and prestige, but a ring of inexplicable evil that will bend those things to its own purpose anytime it's used. Remember? And Frodo's asked to carry that ring to Mount Doom to destroy it. And all during the quest to destroy the ring, Frodo battles against that desire to give into the ring and just wear it and wield it for himself. Even though he full well knows it would lead to his own ruin and the ruin of the world. And if you recall, at the very last, the temptation of the ring becomes too great. He finally gives in. As you watch the clip, ask yourself, is it easy to be a Christian? Is it easy to say no to that dangling temptation of self? Let's watch.
ring is mine. on a journey to destroy them, at least not most of us, but we do carry with us a sinful nature on the way to the day when it will finally be destroyed one way or the other, a sinful nature that constantly chirps and itches and whines and tempts us to give into self and to live lives for ourselves, and that battle is a tough one. It's truly a life or death struggle. It requires our vigilance, our intense effort, and it's hard. And it requires our complete reliance on God to give us the strength to resist. It's true that the story of Ananias and Sapphira is a harsh story. The couple dies for lying about a financial gift. But as we squirm in our seats a bit as perhaps we should, and the Bible intends, maybe we need to consider that there's much more to lying about a financial gift at stake here. Perhaps God felt He needed to tell the church how He really felt about deception and about refusing to be transparent in order to warn the early church and to warn us here today that it's absolutely crucial to Christian life and witness to be transparent to say no to self so that others can see through me to Jesus. As we continue after Acts chapter 5, you will see that the early church seemed to get the message and it rocked their world. Will we get the message and rock our world for God too? May God bless you as you strive to say no to self so that people can see Jesus through you. And rest assured, when you are transparent, God will use your transparency to help bring more people into the kingdom of God, to help bring the kingdom of God to a world that is desperate for it. When you get home, if you have the movie, I've run out of time. If you have the movie, play the clip that comes soon where Frodo and Samwise are rescued and taken away on eagle's wings. And they wake up the next day and there's light and bright in heaven, a heavenly picture, I think, and Gandalf, the father, a God figure at least in the allegory, is simply standing at the foot of Frodo's bed waiting for him to open his eyes. And they look at each other, they say each other's names, and they throw their heads back and laugh for the first time in months. I don't know what heaven's going to be like exactly, but I look forward to that moment when we can maybe truly laugh for the first time in years. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've given us the challenge in this word, this hard story of Acts 5, to be transparent. You've given us that hard task to topple that idol of self off of our throne, the throne of our life, 
so that others can see through us to Jesus. And, oh, Father, you've also promised to give us that strength and courage to do just that. And we beg you, Lord, to keep that promise. Give us, Father, what it takes, whatever it takes, to turn our will and put it in the direction of the will of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us so that together we can strive to be Jesus to a world that is desperate for it. Not almost Jesus, but Jesus all the way. We love you, and we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah and Savior. Amen. If you would like someone to pray with you, there will be someone available up front to do that this week and every week. I apologize, I forget to announce that sometimes. But if you'd like someone to pray with you, please don't be shy. Have a great day, drive safely, and uh, we'll see you again next week. God bless you.